following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at either 9 or 10.30 a.m. Today we are going to close our service in a little bit different way than we typically do. Um, we'll come full circle to, to a moment and a time of prayer. Um, and also, it's, it's just kind of the way the Spirit works is, is how um, the passage that we're looking at today fits in quite well with how our service will conclude today. You know, I just want to give you a little bit of a heads up. I'm using no names of little ones or families either. Um, but if you just happen to be around the church building or even around the community at some given point in time this week or in the week behind you, and you have young people coming up and, and doing very nice things for you, like opening doors for you, um, um, taking, taking maybe your, if you got a, a coffee cup that's empty in your hand and you're done with it, can I take that for you and throw that away for you? Um, all of these sorts of things, you know, maybe you need a Kleenex. I don't know. And they bring you a Kleenex. If you see anything like that taking place whatsoever, there just happens to be amongst a couple families in the church a little deeds contest going on. All right, and what that looks like is this, to see how many good deeds can be performed on a point system. And one of the dads has a really interesting take on this that I'll leave with him. But it's really, really cool, and it's a very good way of parents trying to get within the minds of their young people to look outside their own interests. Because what we do for others in life is important. I don't know if there's anybody in this room that would argue with that statement. What we do for others is important. Is it vital, though, to our place in Christ? We're going to be looking today at the book of James. And just before we do that, we might talk a little bit about James. You see, you find more than one James in the Bible. And who is this James? Who is this guy? Well, who this guy is, um, just a few details about him. He's the half-brother of Jesus. Okay, He did not believe in Jesus during Jesus' ministry. He did not become a believer in Jesus until after his Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And then not only did he become a follower of his half-brother and his Lord and Savior, he also became an elder in the church in Jerusalem. And not just any elder, he was kind of like the chief elder, the, the chairman of the board, if you will. He was kind of the guy there in Jerusalem. Um, he, was, he, was a, he was a very influential, powerful man. You know what else he was? He was a strong ally to the Apostle Paul. And that's going to play a role in what we're going to look at a little bit today. Um, he is also the writer of the book of James. That's what we've entitled, what we have in our New Testament. And it has been called by some the book of ethics in the New Testament. Incredibly practical information, pretty straightforward. And um, it has some really, really good things to say. It also has some pretty strong things to say. That bearing in mind, look to chapter 2. Look to chapter 2, 
Um, we're going to look at a little bit smaller chunk of Scripture, but in order to set it up right, we're going to look at a larger chunk of Scripture to begin with. Um, we'll be reading out of the New American Standard, and as you can see, if you've got your Bible hard copy in front of you, it's going to be pretty close to the end of your Bible. If you're not sure where that's at, that's fine. Look it up. There's a table of contents for a reason, and it will put you in the right place. Um, but whether you've got this, whether you've got electronic, get your eyes on it, okay? We're going to start in verse 14 of chapter 2, and we're going to read through the remainder of the chapter. And this is what it has to say. What use is it, my brethren, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but he has no works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was, it not Abra- was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see, man is justified by works. And not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Um, Strong words. Very, very strong words. When, When we read in our Bibles... The descriptive word of death or dead used in regard to something as powerful and as prominent as our faith. When when I see that, when we see that, we better take notice. We better take a really good look at what's going on here because there is nothing more pivotal to our relationship with Jesus Christ than faith. Faith is the centerpiece. You know... um, a little bit different this week because of the block party on Thursday. Typically, Thursday is, is my day off. And then Friday, I really, really focus on, on sermon stuff, putting it together. And uh, I do that for a reason. Because as crazy as it sounds to you, Friday seems like it's really close to Sunday. But for some reason in my weird mind, Thursday seems like it's an, inf- like an infinite time from Sunday. I don't know why that is. So when I was getting things ready on Thursday, I tell you that right now so you can begin praying, okay, so that the sermon goes well. But, but the other thing is there's stuff that comes about in writing the sermon, and I wrote something down on, um, on Thursday about going to a kitten party. Now, when I say kitten party, I'm not talking about kittens. I'm talking about UK State fans, the Wildcat fans, kittens, you know. <laughs> Um, so, on, on 
Thursday, as I'm preparing the sermon, I, I put this down. I said, I said, imagine putting on all your Jayhawk gear and, and walking into a K-State gathering. I won't call it a kitten party. A K-State gathering, and, and you will get the attention of the people in the room. And I was really hoping, as I was thinking about that and writing it down, that the attention you would get would be animosity and not laughter. Unfortunately, after yesterday, if you did that, it would be laughter. And that's all I'm going to say about that, Scott. That's all, that's all we're going to say about that. Isn't that right? Um, similarly, here you go. With, that, with thinking through that, how awkward that might be, imagine walking into a room full of theologians. And by theologians, I mean somebody who has devoted a large, a large number of hours, this huge amount of time, to the study of God's word, the study of God. Okay? And you've got a room full of them. And you walk into that room and ask this question in all seriousness. Can faith alone really save? And let me tell you something. You're going to have everybody's attention. Just like that. James 2.14. Let's read it again. Like I said, we're going we're to shorten this down some. We're not going to go through the rest of the chapter. We're just going to look uh, at a smaller portion of it. It says this. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? Now, this is kind of a rhetorical question. James is throwing it out there, and it's a rhetorical question of serious consequence. Okay? And then he kind of comes through the back door and answers that question in verse 17 when he says, Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. I told you a little bit ago that, that Paul and James were allies and they were friends. And if you've studied scripture for any length of time, you would might begin to see what we just see James say. I mean, it says pretty strongly here in verse 24, you see that man is justified by works and not by faith alone. I think I remember Paul saying something about justification and faith that might make it seem that he and his buddy James, it, they weren't, at least their teaching is butting heads here just a little bit. So if, if, you, can, if you can keep Keep a bookmark or something right here in James because we're coming back to it. But momentarily, let's go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. And let's get down to verse 28. And see how that jives with what we just read from James. says this, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So who's right? Is it 
James right when he says man is not justified by faith alone? Is Paul right when he says man is justified by faith? Guess what? They're both right. Like, How can that be? All right, for just a moment, we're going to get a little technical here, okay? Just a moment, and we'll get right out of it. When it comes to looking at Scripture closely and finding the meaning of what that Scripture is about, one of the most important things to keep in mind is the context in which something is said and the original audience to whom it was given. That is hugely important. So let's stick with Paul here for a moment in Romans. We talked about this for two years on Wednesday nights. We, were, we worked our way through Romans, and it was a lot of fun. Learned a lot through that, along with, with the people right in this room, the last couple years of Wednesday nights. We finished that up last May. And, and some of you who were part of that class will remember that, that when Paul wrote to Rome, it was a little, the church in Rome was a little different than some of his other letters. A lot of the other letters that Paul wrote, the, when he wrote them, there was an issue that needed to be addressed. There was something, maybe a teaching within the church or a behavior or something that he was writing the church primarily to address that. Well, when he wrote to Rome, a place in which he had not been yet, a church that he did not plant, he was writing to a, to a people group, a church, that there was nothing to address. There's not like there weren't any problems. He basically was just saying, I hope to get to you one day. That, that was kind of the gist of it. And so what Paul was given the freedom to do in Romans was like just, Put the gospel out there. As a matter of fact, the first half of Romans has kind of been entitled The Gospel According to Paul. And he like expands on it, and it is powerful, guys. And, and he's, he's writing to this group. He's spelling out the gospel, which is Jesus came, he died, he was buried, he rose again. All right? That is the gospel and the way that it can impact our lives, and the power in that that there is to save today. So, so he goes there, and he's writing, spelling out the gospel in a powerful, systematic way. This is Paul, by the way, who had already fought battles with people who were trying to justify themselves by what they did. Um, the technical term for that was justify themselves by observing the law. He fought battles with those people, with James by his side. Paul's teaching to those people was this. He was teaching those who were seeking justification, which means to be made right with God. And there were those who thought they did that by what they did, by the things they accomplished. And here in Romans chapter 3, it's a little bit bigger than this, but we're boiling it down to this. He was writing to a specific group of people, many of them Jewish, who, who were trying to please God by observing the law. But because of their miserable failure of accomplishing that goal, regardless of their circumcision or their ritualistic practices, he's telling them, no, your faith needs to be in Christ. That's where your faith needs to be, not in what you do. That's who Paul is writing to, those justifying themselves, trying to by what they did. James, uh uh-uh. He, on the other hand, is writing to an entirely different crew. This group isn't trying to justify themselves by works, by what they did. And James is not telling them to do so. Matter of fact, let's go back to James. 
James chapter 1, verse 21. This is what he says. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. That word, folks, is the word of God. It is God's word that saves. He even makes it a little more clear. Chapter 4, verse 12. This is what James says. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save, save, and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, I'm kind of pulling those out of context just a little bit. But what is being said here and made very clear by James is it's God who does the saving. It is him. You see, James' teaching was for those who needed to demonstrate their faith in that God. And his question was this, is your faith showing up? Have you ever been in the middle of one of those conversations and it starts to get uncomfortable? Now, I'm not just talking about like uncomfortable topics or anything. What I'm talking about is this, because this is the way a lot of us are by nature, and I battle with it in and of myself. There's some people who, who are just like upfront people, you know, like upfront. They got a problem with you, boom, it's coming. You know, they're like in your face, they're going to tell you exactly what it is in no uncertain terms. There is no question about it. They are upset with you, and this is why. Now, there's those of us, because I'm not in that group. There's, there are others who kind of fall in this group where they kind of come in the back door, you know, they're just kind of like driving around and, you know, and they're, they don't, they don't like take the off ramp. They go like the three and a half mile detour to get to the off ramp first. And you're listening to them, you're talking, and then always that you're like, they start to get, it's called passive aggressive, what it is. And, and they start talking and then you're like, are you, are you talking about me? No, no, surely he or she's not talking about me. And then after all of that, the speaker gets to the off-ramp or the on-ramp, however you want to see it. And yes, indeedy, they are talking about you. And it gets a little awkward and a little tense. We'll tell you what. James isn't that type of guy either. And after throwing this rhetorical question out there, he gets very real with his audience. Verses 15 and 16. Now, he uses these verses for a couple of different reasons to show an example for two different reasons. We're only going to deal with the first one. Okay? This is what he says. He's just talking about if this faith can save someone. Then he says this. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, Be warmed and be filled, and yet do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Now, in that day and in that time, there was no safety net, folks. We live in a society of safety nets, and we tend to probably fall back on those a little bit too much um, as, as a giving people. You'll understand what I mean here in a second. Back then, they didn't, they didn't have those helps if someone did not have work or did not have food or did not. They did not have any of those things. Churches, churches had the monumental responsibility to care for those forgotten who had been forgotten by society. Especially 
those within the body of Christ. Because in verse 15, it says, brother or sister, understand something. When you read those words in the New Testament, 99.9% of the time, brother and sister is talking about brother and sister in Christ. Okay? Do you see what's really being said in verse 16? In verse 15, you have a need. Do you see what's really being said in verse 16? One of you says to them, go in peace. Be warmed and be filled, yet you don't give them anything. You know what's really, truly being said there? Take out in peace in your Bible, if you want, and and replace it with this, away. Go away. Leave me alone. You see, a need has been seen and we do nothing to help out with that need and yet we tell them, be filled, be warmed, go in peace, get out of my sight, leave, go away. You see, having a full pantry or a bank account is more important than hurting family in the mind of that person. And guess what, James says, the adi- that is the attitude of someone's faith that is not alive. You know, food and clothing are one thing. Physical needs, yes. How about spiritual food and spiritual clothing. J.B. spoke about it during announcement time, and he spoke about it in this way. There is a world dying around each of us. A world dying spiritually around each of us. We have clothing and food as followers of Christ that is eternal. Jesus preached a sermon one time, and it was a controversial sermon and by the end of it a lot of the people who had been following him up to that point left you know what that sermon the topic of it was the bread of life you know who Jesus said what is the bread of life himself you see having Jesus is to be eternally sustained and then you can turn over to Paul's letter to the church in Colossae Colossian church, Colossians chapter 2, I believe, where it talks about in this way, he says, those who have been baptized into Christ have clothed themselves with Christ. So we as followers of Jesus have clothing, we have food that is eternal. What are we doing with it? Are we hoarding it? Worse, Are we ashamed of it? If we're not in either one of those camps, if not, then why aren't we sharing it? Folks, real faith is contagious. You know why real faith is contagious? Because real faith is shared. Works do not supplant faith. 
And James would never say that they do. But do you know what works do with faith? Look at verse 22. Works perfect faith. And the key to all of that actually is a few verses in front in verse 8. Where James is in a kind of linked subject about favoritism within the church. And he says this. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Living that out, folks, is the evidence of faith that is alive and well within the followers of Jesus Christ. Loving others the way we love ourselves. I guess the question comes down to this. When we are looking at our faith, how will we describe it? Is our faith, is my faith self-centered? Or is my faith Christ-centered? You see, faith is not just what Christ did for me. That's not the sum total of faith. Faith is not just what Christ did for me. Faith is what Christ is doing through me. That's the other side of it. 